Welcome to this fourth and fifth step workshop. My name is Ruth and I'm a compulsive eater and your moderator for this session. Hi everybody. Please join me um, after a moment of silence in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. Um, we'll have three speakers who will each speak for 20 minutes, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers, following up with 15 minutes of open pitches. Um, this session is being taped, so you will need to sign the tape release form if you are sharing. And that's right up here. So I guess when you come up and share, then we'll just have this right up here so you can sign the release form. Um, please turn off all cell phones for the duration of the meeting and remember that it is against our tradition of anonymity to take photos during the meeting. Um, the topic for this session is steps four and five and we do have a timer who is Katie and she will hold up um, how much time you have left if you're up here speaking. Um, so our first speaker is Karen from Milpitas. So I'd like to welcome you all and invite Karen up to the microphone. And also there's an Ask It Basket right down here. If you start circulating it, if you have any questions or any questions come up during the meeting, please write them down and put them in the basket. Welcome, Karen. As you know, my name is Karen, and I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. And this is the first time that I've spoken at a convention, and it's kind of exciting. Really happy to be here to talk about. And I don't speak for OA. I am just going to share my experience, uh, strength, and hope around the fourth and fifth steps. And uh, I wanted to start by saying one of the principles of step four is courage, and the chances of those of you who are here of possibly either struggling with a fourth or fifth step or having yet to do a fourth or fifth step, I just want to acknowledge because it took courage to come. So I just want to acknowledge that I see one of the principles here in courage in you being here. Um, to qualify, I've been coming to OA uh, for 15 years and I did have a relapse about seven years ago, um, but, I, but I've been maintaining an imperfect abstinence since then. Uh, I, my first my first abstinence was back in 1994, and uh, it took me about took me about three years. Um, and I'll talk about that more in just a little bit. Um, and I'm maintaining uh, a weight loss of 40 pounds. And I, I brought a couple pictures. They're right in front of you. Here, there, Katie. I don't know if you want to pass those around or not. So, um, step four: made a searching and fearless moral inventory. When I, prior to coming to OA, I was um, a basket case. I was immobilized by fear, immobilized with self-doubt and self-loathing. Um, and I remember just hiding up in my apartment. I was living alone at the time. Didn't know the difference between loneliness and being alone. And I was just 
I would hide and eat, hide and eat. I'd hole up on Saturday in front of the television with all kinds of snacks and sweets and just hide to cover up my feelings of worthlessness and despair. I knew I I was unhappy in my work and it showed. I I was unfulfilled in my relationships. Uh, I just, uh, I was, I was, I, I believed at that time that I was my defect and I let, I was bound up I was bound up in fear and despair and self-loathing, and um, uh, it, I, I was a mess. I was a mess. Um, there was one particular food item that really exemplified my craziness around food. I, I was so dependent on ice cream. It was like I, you know, I couldn't conceive of not having that in my life. What I would do, I had to. I I was very, as I mentioned, I was very lonely, and I would I would fix. Uh, in addition to eating it during the day, I would fix this huge bowl of ice cream, and I would take it to bed. I would take it to bed with me. It was like it was like my friend. It was like my lover. Well, kind of. <laughs> we didn't do anything kinky, but it was just. It really was. It was. It was. Um, I was so dependent on that, and the real insane, the real the real insane behavior. What happened after I married, and my husband would want to cuddle, and I had continued to take that habit into my marriage. That's insane. That's how insane I was with eating, with food. I just, even, you know, the, the ice cream at one point in my life was a substitute for intimacy and closeness. When I had it, I pushed it away, and, uh, and uh, it was it was insane. It was it was three years into the program, you know, before I was able to release that, and that was back in 1994. Um, when my first when my sponsor sponsor when my sponsor first talked to me about um, doing a moral inventory, I'm going get real. I was so down and so demoralized. The thought of dredging up everything I had said and done that was wrong in my life and sharing it with my sponsor, it was inconceivable. It was just an impossible task. And I, I made it hard. I made it hard. About uh, I took over a year to do my first fourth step. I drug it out, and I had to do it perfectly. And, um, you know, all the, you know had to be on this perfect form and, and all that. And uh, it, I made it hard. But I tell you, there's, there's a reason that step two comes before step four, and that is I was clinging to my higher power. And that's something that I encourage all of us to do is, is, is make that our higher power's job to stand with us and hold us and love us while we're going through the process of the fourth step. Um, what I didn't realize was how much step forward was a gift to me, a gift to all of us, because what I, what I was hiding from was the very thing I was eating to try to cover up. All the my fear, my anxiety, my resentments, my guilt, all of all of that, all my defects, were what I was eating to cover up. And so, it, it, even though I made it hard, it, it it is a gift. It's a gift to be able to um, to take those out and into the light of day. And when when I took them out, when I took my defects out and looked at them, they weren't as bad as, as I. As, as I thought they, you know, as I felt they were when I was hiding them. Hiding them. Um, one thing as compulsive overeaters that we really need to remember is to be gentle with ourselves when we're doing our fourth step. And one thing to keep in mind is that every defect that we have, we 
thought we needed it at some time to survive. We thought we needed a certain behavior, a certain belief, a certain attitude to survive. I'll give you a couple quick examples for myself. One is that I um, I wanted so desperately to be a good person, and yet I saw all these problems in my life. And so the way I could still be a good person was to feel bad about what I was doing. So then I could be a good person who felt bad about what I was doing. Does that make sense? Where I, I And so I felt really, really bad, and I would berate myself over and over and over. Just um, sometimes a thought would go through my mind so quickly, uh, you know, a negative thought about myself, that I wasn't even aware of the thought, but the negative feeling that, that was left, the feeling of worthlessness, the feelings of despair, just it was like clenched my stomach, and I, um, it was awful. And um, so that, and that, that was how self lo- self loathing served me because I got to be a good person who had some, you know, who felt bad about some bad habits. Another area that um, that uh, I wanted to talk about was being a people pleaser. I was so it, I was so afraid of not being liked. If there was 20 people who liked me and one person who didn't, I just was you know just despairing over this one person who didn't like me. So. I wasn't going to be honest about what I really thought and felt. I wasn't going to tell tell anyone the truth about what was going on for me because I didn't want them to leave. I didn't want them to turn from me either in hurt or in anger. And so that's how dishonesty served me at that point in that sick kind of way. But that's so each of our defects has served us at some point. And so for me, that really helped in going through my fourth step was just being gentle with myself about about that. Um, I just want to talk for a, a minute. I don't know how I'm doing on time. Okay. Um, about some of the mechanics of the fourth step. Um, uh, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but what I, um, I'll just share what worked for me. Um, one of the things was when I either, I did it both when I was in the process of doing a fourth step and sometimes when I was leading up to doing a fourth step. If a situation or a person came to mind that was upsetting to me, if it didn't work for me, I would just jot it down, just a couple notes about maybe the, uh, the person's name and just three or four words that would jog my memory. And then I had this, <laughs> this, all these scraps of paper, but I would gather them up. And then when I really sat down to do my writing, it kind of helped me get a good start. It would remind me of some things. So that's one of the things I did. Um, and the program tells us to find a, a quiet place and... Uh, center ourselves, you know, when, before we do our writing, and that always helped me as well. Um, and then do do some reading, do some fourth-step reading on the, you know, the AA 12 and 12 or the OA 12 and 12, do fourth and fifth-step reading. Um, and then I always started with my resentments, then I moved to um, fear and then, then guilt and then and then sex. Remind me later if I forget to uh, mention something about sex. Um, and some always do a little bit of writing each day, and others set aside a big block of time. Either one works. There's no right or wrong way to do a fourth step. Either one, uh, either one will work. I did put together a, um, a just. A, I like using the forms, and so I put together just a. I, it was a big book format, to where um, the, uh, the the person or or situation is in column one, and then what. Um, what I don't like or what upsets me or what the issue is, you know, whatever the issue is is in column two. And what worked for me was 
to just complete columns one and two. Didn't I didn't go on to how it affected me or what my part was or narrowing down the defects. I found that I got too discouraged. So I just listed, you know, everything that angered me, everything that I felt guilty about, just listed those, you know, and, and then later I made a commitment to myself and later if I put it down in column one and two, I was going to finish it out in columns three, four, and five. I made a handful of copies of this, if anybody's interested, they're all in the chairs after, after you can go take a look at it. But it is a big book format and that's what, what I liked um, to use. Another thing that's real important for us in a fourth step is to, is to list our assets as well as our character defects, making sure we, we list our qualities and our attributes. And, um, because when, when, when a store is doing an inventory, they don't throw everything away. You know, and that sometimes is, we begin to own the good things about us as well as taking a look at our defects character. Um, I will talk a little bit about step five. Um, step five, admitted to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And the principles of step five are trust and acceptance. Two of the principles of step five. Um, this disease is a disease of isolation. Uh, it thrives on hiding and secrets. And the fifth step pushes us out. It pushed me out to take that risk, to really trust another individual with my deepest, darkest secrets, things I had not ever told anyone, anyone, things since childhood, to trust. And then and, and it, it just, um, it, it forces us to step out and trust. Um, I want to quickly read from page 47 in the OA 12 and 12. When we actually do our fifth step with another human being, we find that we are humbled without being humiliated. That's so important. It's such a huge difference between being humbled and humiliated. And um, we, begin to, we begin to see reality. We are neither above nor below the rest of the human race. We're part of it. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. We are shaped by the same basic needs and desires as all our fellows. And uh, sometimes in the fifth step, I know for me it was the first time that someone knew all about me, knew everything about me, um, and still accepted me. Still accepted me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how the fourth, the fourth and fifth step worked for me. Um, it, it improved my marriage. Uh, my marriage improved. My marriage improved after I did the fourth and fifth step. My husband was not an easy man. He's, he's passed away, but he was not an easy man to to, to live with. And he um, and I was desperately trying to change him, continually trying to change him. And uh, when he and when he wouldn't change, then I was building up anger and resentment, anger and resentment, frustration. Just I was I was angry. And when I got to my part, I saw that my judgment, my self-righteousness, and my controlling behavior were keeping me from loving him just as he was, instead of who I was trying to make him be. And when I relaxed, when I let go of some of my controlling behavior as a result of doing the four and five, he softened. He wasn't having to fight so hard to, to be who he was. Um, the most, the biggest blessing that I received the biggest blessing by far that I've received from doing the fourth and fifth steps is um, when my sponsor pointed out to me that my name was written in column one. My name was written more than, you know, more times than anyone else. This is, I think, I think this was, this was, 
I think the first time I've done, I've done a formal four-step private four times. The last time, uh, the most recent time was last year. But uh, I think it was the first time my sponsor pointed out how many times my name was in that first column. And what I was doing, I was the one I was holding grudges against. I was the one I was berating. I was the one that I was harming. And so when it got to my ninth step later, I asked God to help me. Help me, God, be kinder to myself, be gentler to myself, love myself more just as I was. And I can't tell you exactly when it happened, because what the program tells us to do is just do the work, you know, do our writing, share it with our sponsor, move on to six, six, seven, and eight, nine steps, but to go on with life. And I was doing that, and I think it probably was a couple months later, and all of a sudden I had this epiphany, this epiphany that I was noticing the prob- my, my problem behavior, you know, noticing my defects. I was noticing them. I was observing them. I was discerning that I needed to do things differently. But I had stopped beating myself up. I had stopped berating myself for, you know, for, for the problems that I had. And it was like the energy that was freed up then. Then I could think clearly about what I wanted to do to do things differently. It isn't as though you stop, you know, working on yourself. But, but, I, but the fourth and fifth step um, and allowing God to remove that, you know, that self, thank you, that self-degradation, um, I... Um, was such a such a blessing. I just want to comment that the hearing hearing the fifth step is a, as a sponsor. It is a sacred time. It's a time where we hold the sacred space for our sponsees to share a lifetime of pain, you know, uh, guilt, anger, resentment. Just it, it, it is. It's a time when we we gently stay with them and stand with them as they take as they take a look as we all take a look at what uh, what our defects are it is truly a sacred and beautiful time and it's an honor as a sponsor to be able to do that um, so I'm just uh, in just close by saying that I'm very very grateful my life is so hugely different now than uh, oh I was gonna I was gonna say something about sex just this is not Okay, this is not something I was going to, um, well, maybe I'll do that later. I'll talk about it later. Um, but um, I'm now able to speak confidently and clearly without worrying about everybody liking me. Um, my relationships are are rich and rewarding. My work is fulfilling. I just, um, I'm just very, very grateful. And um, thank you for uh, letting me share. Thank you, Karen. Um, just a reminder to please continue to circulate the Ask It basket, and as questions come up, please put them in the basket. Our second speaker is Chris from Susanville, so let's welcome her. This really is an honor. Um, I feel a little bit at a loss. The, the folks who take, get to come up 
to the microphone are generally people who've been in the program for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And compared to them, I'm a relative newcomer. I have two and a half years in the program. And uh, my only character defect, um, the reason I'm standing up here actually is because I like to do this kind of thing, see? Uh, it helps me in my recovery. Um, I don't speak for any of you. I speak only for myself. Uh, this has been a very healing thing for me to be able to compose my thoughts and to uh, prepare to speak to you. And it has made me realize how far I've come. It has been a miraculous two and a half years. Absolutely miraculous. And I just want to share a little bit about that with you. I, uh, I kind of spent my whole life trying to find out who I was. And um, it's, kind of, it's been an identity crisis, I guess, since I was born. I remember reading one time uh, in the, the Overeaters Anonymous book, one of the stories starts out, I think I was born a compulsive overeater. And that got me from the very first sentence. Uh, I believe that, too. I went on my first diet when I was six months old. When you look at baby pictures, I'm an identical twin, so when you look at baby pictures, the way you tell my sister and I apart is I'm the fat one. And uh, that identity crisis kind of kept me, kept going all of my life. I was always compared to someone else. As an identical twin, if my sister did something well, I was supposed to do something well, and so on. If she was had a certain characteristic, I was supposed to have a certain characteristic. And what happened over time is I developed a, a little bit of an abrasive personality. Um, my mom used to call me Miss Piss on You. Um, it's supposed to, you know, rhyme with Chris. I was Chrissy Pissy and, and things like that. And, and uh, um, my mom still talks about me to this day as a person who is very strong. I'm a person who says it like it is. I'm a person who is uh, blunt. And the people who are being kind will just say that I'm a very honest person. And uh, that so uh, I had, if I didn't have people telling me who I was supposed to be as an identical twin, my mom was telling me who I was supposed to be based on her assessment, which was I was supposed to be like her. See, that's, my, that's what my, the way my mother is. Uh, when I started uh, dating in high school, I was absolutely amazed that uh, some boy would want to date me. And I went through date after date after date after date and, and got the, the, the reputation of somebody who slept around even though I wasn't sleeping with them. But uh, I would go on one date with them, and then somebody else would ask me out and be like, sure, I'll go. I was just absolutely amazed that somebody would want to go with me. And I carried with me through uh, the first little bit of college, and then it all stopped. And I didn't get a single date for three years. When, I, uh, uh, when my husband and I started talking about marriage, and I have to say it that way because he never asked me to marry him. It was just kind of something that happened. Uh, when we started talking about marriage, I thought it was a remarkable thing that somebody would actually want to marry me. I, I remember in every situation that I would be in, on a date, in a social situation, in every situation, I would become whatever that group was. If they were loud and boisterous, I was loud and boisterous. If they uh, sat and listened to one person and there was a leader, then I would sit and listen to that one leader and, and do exactly what they did. And that's how I fit in, never really finding out who I was. I just knew that it really grated on me when my mom talked about me being this strong person because I knew inside that I was weak. When I married, 
almost immediately, uh, I had a, another identity crisis. Um, I did not cook very well, therefore my husband suggested that maybe I go get cooking lessons from my mother-in-law, and my mother-in-law was one of those people who dusted the door jams. And so I was supposed to emulate that. Uh, when we would walk down the street, my husband would see somebody dressed in a particular way that he liked and said, you know, you really ought to dress like that. I really like the way that looks. So I'd go out and I'd go emulate that person, you know. And that's what I did all of my life. I emulated other people. And uh, my marriage became one of those where, where um, you know, my husband honestly believed he was be- being very um, uh, helpful to me by suggesting things. And, and since I would take him up on his suggestions, uh, uh, he, he saw it as a positive thing, and in the meantime, I was really wilting inside, and it, that's one of the things I've had to face, that I caused a lot of that. My marriage ended after 17 years, and uh, it, it took a lot to face that, to face my part in it, and to realize that uh, everything that happened in my marriage, I allowed to happen. And I'll tell you, there was uh, some abuse in my situation. And to sit down here and say that uh, that I had a, at least a small part in that is very difficult. Uh, most people would like to say that if you were abused, that's not your fault. And I'll have to tell you, I got married when I was age 19, and last time I checked, that does count as an adult. I divorced at age 36, and last time I checked, that was an adult and so if there were issues going on that shouldn't have happened and I allowed it to happen then I had at least a small part in it and that's one of the things I've had to face going through my fourth and fifth step. I talk about identity because my fourth and fifth step is kind of how I found out who I was a little bit. It's how I came out of my shell and developed a personality. Uh, I, I guess maybe just allowed my own personality to come out. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, about the fourth and fifth step. I honestly believe that my higher power prepared me for the fourth and fifth step by using one of my character defects to show me uh, what the fourth and fifth step could do for me. I am a singer, and in my town we have a show uh, we call The Best of Broadway, and so we get up and we sing songs from Broadway, and I've been the producer for the show, and I'm the soloist for the show, and so I'm used to performing in front of other people. Now, you got to imagine doing that as a fat person, okay? I've lost uh, 75 pounds. I've lost six dress sizes, and so when I would get up and sing, uh, first of all, it was always difficult for them to find the solo part for me, knowing that I was good enough to have a solo part, but what part can we put her in? It's not like she can play bell, you know what I'm saying? So I remember the time that I got my first love song, and it was a duet, and the guy I was singing with was gorgeous. And I was singing, um, the part that they gave me was appropriate for a fat girl. I was uh, um, singing, if you know the guys and dolls, I was the missionary Sarah, and we were singing um, I'll Know, and I'm supposed to sing about, I'm supposed to uh rebuff all of his advances and and uh, to sing about how when I find the person that I'll love, I'll know who he will be. And so, of course, he's supposed to come on to me on stage. Okay, now you have to imagine that for someone like me, I have this really good-looking guy coming on to me on stage, and I'm rebuffing him, and it's, 
it's suddenly becoming a little too real for me. And I tell you this story, uh, this is a story that I have been very ashamed of in the past, and having gone through talking about it in the fourth and fifth step, it's become very freeing for me. But I have to tell you, I used every middle school technique I could think of to get this guy to pay more attention to me off stage, too, like he was paying, you know, to me on stage. And uh, I, the problem was, is by that time, I had enough program under my belt to know what this was doing for me. I was losing myself again, and I'd only been in program for a few months. So I was losing myself again and knowing that I needed to do something, but I had absolutely no guts. Up to this point, I hadn't really said anything uh, really out there to my sponsor. And um, I knew I could not tell her face to face. I just had that little voice in my head that says, if you can't say it face to face, write it down. And so I wrote it down in all its ugly details. Now, to make it worse, my sponsor was really close friends with this guy, see? So I'm sitting, I I call my sponsor and say, I have something that I need to talk to you about. Um, It's very embarrassing to me. I just have to get it out. And she says, this sounds like something we need to talk about right away. And, of course, me with my people who think, oh, no, if you're busy, that's all right. Um, Any time is okay. And she was there in ten minutes. And we sat in her car in the park, in front of a park, and um, I, I told her flat out, I said, I cannot uh, tell you this face-to-face, but I, can, I wrote it down and I can read it to you. And I did. I wrote, read it to her in all of its gory detail, and then I bawled. And she hugged me. That was what prepared me. I wrote it down. That was the beginning of the fourth step. I shared it. That was the beginning of the fifth step. And when she didn't say that it was horrible, awful, ugly, what she did is she shared a story with me, and it taught me about the fifth step. Now, I only have five minutes, and I want to share with you a little bit of the mechanics of how I did the fourth step, and then uh, and then I'll end. Um, I have done three fourth steps, and they have all been dramatically different from one another. The first fourth step I did, I wanted to be absolutely perfect, and my, all my sponsor would say is just, do it, which was not very helpful. Uh, she directed me toward the, the format in the big book, and uh, somehow I was still confused. There it was in black and white. I'm a very educated person, and I saw it there in black and white, and it still did not help me. I kept thinking that the little bit that they wrote was not enough, and so for each entry I had in my, my fourth step, that first fourth step, I wrote just volumes. My first fourth step was 32 written pages. And not because I had that many entries, but because I wrote so much in each one. When I ended up doing my fifth step, my very, very patient sponsor listened to the first couple of entries, and I learned very quickly that all I needed to do was to say a few sentences. As I I did my second and third uh, fourth step, I wrote one sentence, if anything. Sometimes it was just a phrase to remind me of what it was. I would read that phrase, and then I'd wait for my sponsor to say, I need more information about that. And I was always surprised. Well, don't you want to know any more about that? Come on. We're talking about my stuff. I want to talk about me. Come on. Listen. And uh, she would never seem to want more information unless I offered it. Every once in a while, she'd have a question that would help clarify for her what I was trying to say. But I learned very quickly in the second and third fourth steps that I did that it's not necessary to write volumes. Um, when I'm going on to the fifth step, uh, if my sponsor wanted more information, she asked. 
Um, the fourth step, the first fourth step I did took me six months to write, and that's because it was very frightening for me. And the reason it was frightening for me is because I was moving on to the fifth step in my mind. I could only think about doing the fifth step as I was writing the fourth step. And one of the things that my sponsor told me is, is especially since I had an experience with writing something down that was very embarrassing and painful, uh, she said, just write it down. That doesn't mean you have to share it. You can choose not to share it. Just because you write it down in your inventory doesn't mean that you can share it. And the beautiful thing is, of course, she knows better. She knows that eventually I'm going to share it, right? And by the time I finished that six months, by the time I finished my fourth step in those 32 written pages, I was willing to share everything. I had difficulty. It took me about three or four minutes to gather up the courage to tell her a couple of the entries. And, of course, the worst stuff is always sex. That's the word nobody ever wants to talk about. I had some uh, sex stuff in my, uh, my inventory, and it was extremely difficult to talk about, but I did it. And every time I had something difficult to share, she shared something that was worse, and it made me feel better. <laughs> um, there's one thing I want to say about the, about the fourth step. To me, I've, I've done it three different ways. I've, the first time, I was absolutely obsessed about doing it the first way, and I wrote volumes. The second time and third time, uh, I had listened to the Joe and Charlie tapes, if you're familiar with that, and I'd used the format that they suggested. I listed my fears first, my resentments, sexual harms, and then harms other than sexual. And uh, I simplified it a little bit more than they did. I wrote the person that uh, I, the person or event that it dealt with, I wrote down the event itself. And again, it was only one sentence or maybe even just a little phrase. The third column, though, I did that consistently through all three of my four steps. And I, I cannot emphasize enough how, as you move on to the sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth steps, how important this was. And that's the thing I want to emphasize today. That last column, I wrote down the character defects that affected or what characteristic did that event bring out in me. My sponsor suggested that I use the seven deadly sins. Uh, they are pride, envy, anger, greed, gluttony, I have to look, um, lust, and sloth. Thank you. And then I added to those seven. Now, come on, those are perfect for compulsive overeaters, right? Gluttony is in there. Sloth is in there. Those are good ones. I added excuse me, dishonesty, body image, and fear. And those three helped me get through the rest of them. I can't imagine why dishonesty is not one of the seven deadly sins, but that was a big one for me. And so I had to add that to my list. But those characteristics are what I wrote. And then as I moved on to the sixth and seventh steps especially, those columns became the most important things. In doing a fourth step, what I learned is that the events that I wrote down were not important. It was the characteristics that I discovered about myself that was important, and that's what helped me to heal. In two and a half years, I am a dramatically different person. I walked into this program suicidal. I walked into this program um, really pissed off that uh, the gal who became my sponsor would suggest that there was a, a, a relationship between my unhappiness and my eating that was a very unfair for her th for her thing for her to say. Uh, I remember the suggestion about uh, doing uh, a positive fourth step also, and I could not bring myself to do it at that time. 
I remember one time I finally just decided that I would go ahead and, and come up with two words that would describe me in a positive way. And I was terrified to choose any words because, see, if I tell you that I'm this, maybe you'll disagree with me, see? And maybe I'm just deluding myself that I really am. But I came up with two words, and one is that I'm a very loving person, and the other one is that I'm a compassionate person. And, and I like to say those out loud because they, it helps me it, to remind me that I have positive characteristics. I am absolutely changed because of this program. I honestly 100% believe that I am alive because of this program. I have gone through a divorce and remarriage to an absolutely wonderful man. If you see us kissing in the elevators, that's just us. I've been married three months yesterday. Um, I have gone through... Well, let me, let me just tell you briefly about the past week I just went through. If you've heard about the fires in Northern California, the fire came within 50 feet of my house twice. So that's the week that I've been dealing with. Um, I have dealt with uh, a child who has some emotional issues um, that have really come out with the divorce. I'm the one that walked out, and uh, having his mommy leave was very difficult. I have a child who has difficulties with uh, school. He is just smart and hates school. Um, I have a family who doesn't understand me because A, I'm a fairly uh, spiritual person, which they can't relate to, and B, I have an addictive personality, which they can't relate to. Um, in, in all types of things here, I'm just, I, I have a lot of problems, and I stay abstinent through those. This is a miraculous program. I do not have a perfect abstinence. I do not. I do not. But I am abstinent today because I work the program, because I do the steps. Um, I, I can't emphasize enough how those characteristics on that on their fourth step are the most important thing. They were for me uh, the the key to unlocking who I was and finding that identity, uh, discovering that uh, the person I was was actually somebody wonderful. I kind of like who I am. I like Chris these days. Um, not every day is great, but. In general, I really like who I am. I want to thank you for, uh, again, for helping me to heal. This, speak, this, this was not for you. This was for me. And I appreciate the time that you allow me to speak to you. And if you have questions, I'd love to answer them. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, I just want to gently remind you again to keep the Ask It Basket circulating because after our next speaker, we'll address the questions in the Ask It Basket. And now we'll hear from Sam, from San Ramon. Welcome, Sam. Thanks. I'm very glad to be here. I'm Sam Pierce. I'm a compulsive eater and I'm an alcoholic. The late George Burns said that a sermon has a beginning and an end, and the good ones have those two parts close to each other. Now, I hope this won't be a sermon, but uh, nevertheless, I'll try to heed that advice. By the grace of God uh, and this program, uh, I've lost over... <clears throat> 
over 100 pounds, and um, I have been abstinent, including weekends and holidays, for over 19 and a half years. And that's a miracle. It's only one of many, but that's, that's a big one. That's why I came here. Um, and I came here, I guess, because the pain of eating finally got worse than the pain of not eating. I came to my first meeting in Saratoga on a Monday morning, because everybody knows you don't start something new on a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday night. You start on a Monday morning. So... Um, they didn't talk about, I don't remember exactly what they talked about, but if I remember correctly, they didn't talk about diets. So I know they didn't talk about diets and calories. I don't think they talked that much about food, but they talked about stuff that I had never heard or talked about before in my life. And those were the things that were meaningful in their lives about anger and joy and sadness and happiness and resentment and fear and all those things that happen to people in real life every day of their lives, but, uh, but which I had never talked about with anybody in my entire life. The 12 Steps, the miracle program that has brought us here today and has brought recovery to thousands or maybe millions of people um, around the world from all kinds of addictive and compulsive problems were, um, ha well, they go back, uh, the history is that, of course, as we know, the, the 12 steps, the, the principles and philosophies in the 12 steps are embodied in a lot of different world religions and philosophies. Um, but more specifically, in the um, early to middle part of the 20th century, there was an organization called the Oxford Groups. And the Oxford Groups were a uh, spiritual evangelical organization that had several basic principles, among them absolute purity, absolute honesty, absolute love, absolute unselfishness. And the co-founder of AA, Bill Wilson, was a member of the Oxford groups. However, he wasn't very popular, apparently, because he decided that he would only focus on using the principles of the Oxford groups on helping alcoholics recover. And the general membership of the Oxford group said, no, that's not what we do. We apply these sort of generally throughout society. Um, so, Bill Wilson left the Oxford groups, but along the way, he picked up a lot of influence from them. And at a bedside meeting in 1935 with Dr. Bob Smith is generally regarded as the founding of AA, because Dr. Bob never took a drink after that. And so, there were a couple of original groups of AA. Uh, in New York City and in Akron, Ohio. And for a little while, the first few years, um, 
they didn't have a big book or really anything that they passed around. Um, it was just, just word of mouth. And what happened was that there were six steps that developed. And um, after a while, the founding members came to the realization that as more groups were springing up around the uh, Northeast and the Midwest, that they probably needed something written down so they could share common principles and ideas and they could pass these things around to the new groups. So the, so the founding members started working on the big book. Uh, and the big book was being written uh, and uh, ultimately uh, Bill Wilson, uh, and he says in uh, some of his writings that um, one night he sat down at his kitchen table in Brooklyn and in 30 minutes he wrote all 12 steps. And, you know, when I read that, I thought this, this program of miraculous recovery that has brought so much relief to so many of us around the world, that's just another miracle. That this man was inspired to write all 12 steps at his kitchen table in 30 minutes. Um, it's conceivable that, half that ha ha if that hadn't happened, that we wouldn't be here today. So specifically, relating to um, the 12, uh, to the fourth step. In um, the uh, OA 12 and 12, which didn't exist when I came into the, first came into recovery in 1986, it starts talking about the um, fourth step, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves by saying, we find it best to approach this inventory with the words fearless and searching uppermost in our mind. And as, of, as the other speakers have touched on, nowhere in that do I, say, do I hear searching, fearless, and perfect. Seems to just say searching and fearless. And then it goes on to say, in fact, we've learned that delaying the fourth step until we feel we can do it perfectly only delays our recovery. And both of the uh, speakers touched on, so there must be obviously some common thoughts going on here, is that um, it's easier for most of us to proceed with step four if we take time to acknowledge our assets in addition to our shortcomings. Over almost 20 years in recovery, I've sponsored, I suppose, hundreds, I haven't counted them, but hundreds of men, excuse me, many of whom are not in program anymore. But, as I found, somewhat to my chagrin at one point, um, they have a higher power and I'm not it. <laughs> so, um, their higher power is taking care of them and their lives. In fact, I remember one time I was meeting with a sponsee in San Jose many years ago, and he was telling me about something that was happening in his family life. And I made an observation or commented or grunted or something. Uh, and he said, oh, then you think I should? And I said, hang on. I don't think you should do anything. I barely ha know how to run my own life. It would be disastrous if I thought I should tell you how to run your life. So, you know, that's not what our sponsors are for. Incidentally, another bit of, uh, of history. When AA was founded, it, uh, 
alcoholism was such a stigma that um, you know you don't you didn't talk about being an alcoholic. You didn't try you tried everything you could do to to cover it up, and as a result. To go to an AA meeting, you had to be sponsored in. You didn't just wander in because, number one, they weren't publicized. And secondly, they had to make sure that you were qualified. Uh, and, I, and there's one part in the big book where it refers to um, how they weren't sure if they should let in um, fallen women, uh, crackpots, and queers. And so, um, so they... So, you know, that's kind of hilarious, really, because um, because they were spo you had to be sponsored in. You didn't get into AA without, uh, without being sponsored. Uh, so anyway, it says, and then it says, what form should our inventory take? Any form at all, since we are writing for ourselves and are never required to show it to our, inven uh, show our inventories to anyone. In fact... We find that how we do the four-step inventory makes little difference. What counts is that we do it. The emphasis is mine. The words are, right, are, are not mine. Um, so it seems to say that we can use the column form from the big book. We can use um, a narrative form. We can use uh, Joe and Charlie's form. I was glad to hear that mentioned. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize that anybody else, any of the other speakers, would bring this up. But um, I got a new sponsor last year. And uh, when we came to the fourth step, I thought that, oh, well, I've been in the program for a long time. I've done the fourth step many times and with, with many sponsees. This would just be a little little housekeeping for me, a little cleanup. Well, I asked my sponsor how he wanted me to do it, do the fourth step, and he said, why don't we try the seven deadly sins? I never heard of that. Never heard of doing it that way before. He said, what you do is you write down, first you write down what you think are the definitions of the seven deadly sins and how they affect your life. And after that, then you find out how wrong you were by looking them up in a dictionary and finding out the real meaning. And what I thought was just going to be a little kind of tweaking my recovery turned out to be a major uh, house cleaning for me and turning over some real rocks that I had never properly addressed before. So it really turned out to be a, a positive experience for me. So when doing the uh, fourth step, I think what we see is that um, we focus on searching and fearless and not perfect. We think about the positive traits that we have as well as the negative. In all this time in recovery, I have only, uh, having sponsored hundreds of men and two women, the one, one woman, the first woman I sponsored, both of these women had a uh, very long recovery. And uh, we did a lot of praying and a lot of discussion about it, and it seemed to be the right thing. The first woman that I sponsored 
when it came to the fourth, the sex part in the fourth step, she had me turn my back so she could, because she didn't want to look me in the eye while she was telling me. Or maybe she turned her back, or maybe we both turned our backs. I don't remember. But, but we weren't looking at each other. That was a new experience for me. But it seemed to work. And so that was what was important. But the only time that I have ever rejected a fourth step was when I sat with a man over on the peninsula, and when he finished, I said to him, so I conclude from hearing your fourth step that you are the most worthless piece of crap that ever walked the face of the earth. Is that right? And, of course, he was a little taken aback by that. And he said, well, what, what makes you say that? And I said, because everything you said in your fourth step was negative. You didn't say one good thing about yourself. And he said, well, I didn't realize that, but in reality, I, I don't, it's hard to think of those things or to write down any of those things. I said, okay. So here's what you do. You think about all the good things, all the things you've accomplished in your life. You think about all the things that you know how to do. And you think about every good thing, every positive thing that anybody has ever said about you in your entire life. And we'll come back and do this again next week. When he came back, we came back next week, he said, this is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. But he did it. He did it. And he had some positive things in his uh, fourth step that time. And I... I, I it really, really felt good to hear that. Because I, I think he may have turned some kind of corner at that point. So, we have positive traits as well as negative, and any inventory is better than none at all. Any inventory in any form is better than none at all. I, I'm sad when I hear people say they've been in the program for a year and a half, two years, three years, and they've never known four steps. Or they're working on their fourth step. Well, how long have you been working on it? Mm, eight months, ten months, a year. And, you know, I just want to say, just do it. In fact, maybe it's finished now. Let's do it. It's finished. Let's do the fifth step. Um, because I don't feel that it's, it's possible to get all that this program has to offer without getting through the fourth and fifth step and, in fact, in fact, getting through all the steps. So the fifth step. My first sponsor said that when I did my fifth step with him and we burned it in his fireplace, that those things in my fourth step would be lifted. And I thought the guy was wacko. But we did it anyway, and it turned out that he wasn't wacko because these things were lifted. Maybe not 100% for all time, and of course, as I said, I've revisited things over the years, but they were lifted. What he said to me, what his promise was to me was, it, was, it, it came true. Uh, in the OA 12 and 12 on page 49, and you know, I don't know how many times I've read, I've read these, all of these books over the last 20 years. I don't remember this. 
until I heard it in a meeting in San Jose a few weeks ago. It says, we're not looking for someone to tell us how to manage our problems. What we need is a loving witness, someone who will keep our confidence and will listen without judging or us or seeking to fix us. A loving witness. I absolutely love that expression and that concept. As I said, I don't told that guy, I'm not going to tell you how to run your life. God, I, I, I haven't proven that I'd make it, I did a great job of mine. But what we are for each other in this program, and especially our sponsors, are loving witnesses. We love each other and we help each other, and the, the, the most important job we have in this program is to pass the message from one compulsive eater to another. That's the most important thing we can do, is, pass, is practice the 12-step and pass the message from one person to another. And it says here in the uh, AA 12 and 12, that this is the, I, I'm, I'm close to being out of time. Was that two minutes? Thank you. Uh, so maybe I'll paraphrase it. But says, uh, basically what it's talking about is being, uh, ending our isolation. This feeling of being at one with God and man, this emerging from isolation to the open and honest sharing of our terrible burden of guilt, brings us to a resting place where we may prepare ourselves for the following steps toward a full and meaningful sobriety. And finally, on page 312 in the big book, uh, at the end of that chapter, it says, There is no more aloneness with that awful ache so deep in the heart of every alcoholic that nothing before could ever reach it. That ache is gone and never need return again. Now there is a sense of belonging, of being wanted and needed in love and loved, and a true return for a bottle and a hangover, and we might say compulsive eating. You can fill in the words however you like. In return for these things, we have been given the keys of the kingdom. When I came into OA almost 20 years ago, the first time I read that, I think it had a profound, or, or it was read, I think it had a profound effect on me. I realized that I didn't have to live the way I've been living in the past, and I could didn't have to live in isolation anymore because my life was one spiral of too much eating, too much drinking, and isolation. We can, we have the ability and the opportunity if we choose to accept it, and that's the important thing. You know, the people who need this program, if we were going to, if, if we were having our meetings with all the people who need this program, we wouldn't be having them in the Oakland Marriott We'd be having them in the Oakland Coliseum. But it's the people who want this program, who are willing to go to any lengths to get it, who are here today. That is you.
That's the people who are here today. I'm very glad to have been invited. It's always an honor to be able to speak to a group of people who are participating in their own recovery. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, now we will have um, the Atkin basket. Um, Katie, could you bring it up? It's right here. What will happen is I'll draw a question from the Ask It basket, and then one of our speakers will, or all of the speakers, will share on it, and we'll do this for 15 minutes. So if you could give, give me a, um, a time. So I'm going to go ahead and just draw the first one and read the question. It says, when you write subsequent four steps, do you repeat issues on fears you have had again? Uh, my answer to that is yes, if they, if they come up again. You know, if they come to mind, yes, um, I will repeat. As, as often as they come up, there are issues that, have, that I've you know, done, for, you know, done work on in four different four steps. So, yeah, that's my answer. Tell one story about fear of economic insecurity and how you use the program to take steps to release the fear. Ouch. <laughs> I'm never, never uh, sure whether my financial dysfunction or my compulsive eating was greater. Um, people these days are, are com uh, uh, aware of FICO scores and stuff like that. And um, they didn't have them um, at 30 years ago. But if they had, mine would probably have been around one or two. Um, oh, that's a, that's a score that, uh, that is a computer model that, that is... Uh, supposedly determines what your credit worthiness is for home loans and car loans and things of that nature. Thank you for the question. Um, and as, and so I was continually uh, in financial crises. And that that is not true today. Uh, it's been a total turnaround and it's been a result of the 12 steps of this program, and uh, also my willingness to realize that the 12 steps of the program and this recovery gave me the courage and the willingness and the awareness that I could go to other sources outside of the, for, uh, the formal structure of the program and get help for other issues, and that's what I did. And that helped tremendously, too. And I will have to say that right now, uh, a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I made uh, a um, rather large uh, investment uh, in, uh, in Texas. And uh, it turned out that we were totally defrauded. And um, we've been dealing with it for the last couple of years. And um, there are consequences that could be quite far-reaching. 
Um, and uh, but I don't know about what they will, what they what they will be because it hasn't come to a resolution yet. And it's been causing a lot of fear for me because I what I a picture in my mind is all this recovery in the financial area coming uh, coming crashing down. So in to to a, a large extent, it has this fear has ruled my life for quite some time. I had a breakthrough, and I don't mean to say that it's gone, but I had a breakthrough just a few weeks ago when the third step was discussed in a meeting, and um, I realized that the that my life is not free of problems. It simply is my life has changed in how I respond to the problem my response to the problem and the application of the 12 steps on this program to the to this problem as well as every other problem nelson mandela said that courage is not the absence of fear it's the overcoming of it when it's present and i realized that i have a choice of letting this thing continue to rule my life or responding to it differently and the way I have learned to respond to all uh, almost everything else in my life where can I get the Joe and Charlie tape does anyone know there okay Okay, and they are an AA thing, so. Um, in your opinion, should someone who has been in the program a year but hasn't finished a fourth step get into a relationship? It's eating me. Um, I'll address that one. Um, I was... I was told when I started the program uh, the old thing about how you shouldn't make a major decision in your life for the first year. And I walked into the program wanting to get a divorce. Um, I figured that that would solve all of my problems. I just didn't have the guts to do it. And uh, it, took, um, it, took, it took more than a year. Uh, I waited the year, and then I waited another year. And um, it was not an easy decision. But to get in, if I would assume, I don't know, maybe I'm incorrect about this, but if a person is asking that kind of question, maybe they're concerned about uh, about issues in their past uh, as far as getting into a relationship, if that makes sense. And, you know, the thing about, about this is, is, is we can talk to our sponsors, we can have other people give us our opinions, but the bottom line is that... Uh, personal decisions like these get made between you and your higher power. And I believe in taking decisions to my higher power, making the decision for myself. Um, should I, I don't take, I don't go to my higher power and say, should I get divorced? I take it to my higher power and say, this is what I uh, decided to do. These are the plans that I've made. What do you think? And then just explore how I feel inside because I believe that my higher power will, will give me some direction in my life. 
that's how I've done it. I think this is a personal one, and you take it to your higher power. That's my opinion. We have a lot of questions in here, so we'll get to as many as we can in the time we have. Once you're done, once you've done a fourth and fifth step, do you ever do a fourth step around other feelings, anger, honesty, etc., that came up for you, or do you just utilize step ten? Um, as I said before, I've done three fourth steps. And when I went through my divorce, I found out that there were a lot of things that came up there that I needed to deal with, a lot of fears. Um, I stand before you as a person who just uh, came around that point where uh, where a year ago was when, when my divorce happened. And um, in that year, I did my fourth step and my fifth step and my sixth step and my seventh step and my eighth step and my ninth step around all of those issues that happened with my divorce, the resentments that I had, um, the anger, 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 you can't believe that I had. Uh, and uh, of course, remember that, that the person that we harm the most is always ourselves. And so that was in dealing with those issues too. So I did a whole separate fourth step and beyond just on the divorce issues because that was what was imminent in my mind. And I'll tell you the result of that. I have a very good relationship with my ex-husband. Uh, we each are now remarried, and uh, we not only can be in the same room together, but we have a good time together. We laugh together. We talk together. Um, we have one child together, and, and he quickly found out that what mom knows, dad knows. Uh, and all of that is the result of working the steps that is a result of believing from the very beginning that it would be absolutely hazardous to my health because remember this program saved my life that it would be absolutely hazardous to my to my health to nurse resentments or angers even if they were justified okay i couldn't be angry at him i could not be uh, i couldn't do that so for me i had to do a whole separate fourth step and beyond just on those issues and it has paid off in a big way for me. I just want to say that um, that these issues are perfect fodder for steps six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, that I think is one of the major benefits of doing this fourth and fifth step is that now we have turned the light on the, the, what we need to address in the following steps. Okay, thank you. So we probably have time for one more. Um, and this one says, Karen, please tell us about how you hear a fifth step from a sponsee. Tell us the way you hear a uh, the way you hear a fifth step, any special procedure? Uh, the first thing that's really, really important is to find a quiet, very private place. Um, it, usually it's in one of our homes. 
um, turning off phones, distraction, any, anything. We usually agree on an amount of time. Um, and sometimes it takes a, a more than one sitting. I know last time that, that I did, you know, gave my uh, fifth step, uh, it, it took more than one sitting to do. So that, that's okay. That's okay to do. Um, um, it's, we just, I, I mainly listen. Mainly just listen. And as I mentioned, it's, it's just a sacred experience to do. Um, sometimes ask clarifying questions just to make sure I understand what the situation, what, you know, what, what's being talked about. Sometimes we gently explore uh, what what was behind, what what was what motivated a particular action or or, or something that was said to take you know to take a look at that because that's an important part you know to see what you know what what um, is behind the behavior. Um, oh, I I should have I started off by saying you know we start with a, a prayer usually the Serenity Prayer. Um, and we close, you know, we close in prayer. It's just, um, um, I, I, I take, I take notes. I do take notes because sometimes we'll we go, you know, we'll go back and talk, talk about these things later. So, uh, so sometimes, so that I do, I do take notes during the time. I ask permission to do that. If that's okay, they're not extensive notes. Just something to trigger my memory. Um, I hope that answers the question. Are we there with the time? Okay. Okay. Um, now we will have um, 15 minutes for three-minute shares. Please limit your shares to the three minutes and stick to the topic. And be sure you have signed the tape release form, which will be right here on the podium. So as you come up to the podium, um, just uh, before you walk away, put your signature and the date, which is the 1st of July. So, do we have anyone who would like to share? I'll time you. Except to right over Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Yeah, I was attracted to this um, session because of the title, Feelings, right? And when I got in and I, I realized that I didn't read the focus, right? You know, that's sort of me. I look at the surface and then dive in and realize it's really cold. Um, <coughs> but um, I, I just finished uh, uh, my second um, four step and um, I was a little worried. On my first four step, I I had gone through um, a lot of drama. You know, it was, it was uh, all my childhood trauma, and uh, and it covered a lot of stuff that I kept secret for years. And I was a little um, fearful going into my second four step because I was afraid it would be boring <laughs> because there was no more drama. And I was wondering what on earth could be interesting to find. You know, and that was really my biggest fear. And I and I shared that with the the person I was working with that um, I was afraid you'd go to sleep. <laughs> but the truth is, um, the second time doing my four-step, 
I found some things that, even though they weren't as dramatic, were just as crippling to me, maybe even more so, because I hadn't really thought of them as, as problems. Um, what came up for me this time uh, in a big way was, um, and I shared it with Barbara before the meeting, is, is my fear of criticism. I'm terrified of being criticized. And in fact, um, I, I used to do this little trick where, um, before I did anything, I would tell you what I would probably do wrong before so that you wouldn't be, um, I don't know what, you know, so you wouldn't be criticizing me, right? I, I, that was my way of protecting myself from, from your criticism. And um, I, I started um, teaching this uh, a seminar, uh, and I did it for a couple of years. And when I first started doing it, I would go through, when I started, I would introduce myself, and I would say um, how uh, I was new at this, and you would, you would probably find that I wasn't very good. But, you know, and I would go through this whole weird thing, and I would find afterwards on my evaluations, I would get pretty low evaluations. And um, at one point, I stopped doing that, and my evaluations got really high. So I, I, I started realizing that that, you know, my own behavior to protect myself, I was actually causing you know, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was causing people to look at me more critically. And it was, it was uh, just a real revelation to me that um, I'm my biggest problem. And uh, maybe my fourth step was not as dramatic, but um, for me it was. So, thank you. Who's like to go next? Covering compulsive overeater. Um, I've been in program for uh, 13 years, and um, I'm one of these big book step people because I absolutely believe in my heart that the program of Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm also an Alcoholics Anonymous you know, is the 12 steps and is what's given to us in the big book. And, um, you know, as I was sitting here listening to um, these wonderful speakers, you know, I just can't fake it anymore. I just can't, like, make believe I don't have to work on things anymore. It's things uh, gnaw at me in a whole different way now in my recovery because of, I'm abstinent, and I've been abstinent for 13 years. And um, as I'm sitting here listening, um, two issues came up for me. One was fear of financial insecurity will leave us. It's in the promises. And the other one is, you know, there's this part of my behavior that still is very New York-y. And I like to um, somehow always get an edge on everything. Um, and I know a lot of it's from uh, just being raised in my family and back in New York, but I also know that both things that go on for me with the, both these issues is real dishonest. And um, so when I get back to Reno, I'm going to sit down with my, I'm going to do my work, you know, and sit down with my sponsor. And um, if 
but I also know that I'm human and I have a tendency to slip back even though I very much want to change her behavior. So I have to work with my sponsor on it because I need her there to call me on it if I'm, you know, not conscious. So um, I'm just ever so grateful that everybody showed up today and I hope you're enjoying yourselves and have a good afternoon. I'm Katie. I'm a compulsive overeater. It's great to be here, and it's great to hear all this wonderful experience. Um, and I just, I just really wanted to talk about um, the issue of fear because it really took me a long time to get to being in this fearless place to do a searching and fearless inventory because, you know, at first. You know, just it felt like looking under even the edge of the rock was there's just all kinds of scary. You know, there was nothing but defects that were going to jump out and grab me or whatever. Um, and I did have uh, just a month after coming into program, I got a major medical issue, and you know, which which did really put me into all kinds of fear. Um, so that's been really important, and just. Um, I mean, one of, one of the things that just helped me most was just coming back to the program and seeing people go through um, so many different hard things in their lives um, using the program. And, um, you know, also just hearing that other people um, went through a lot of the same problems that I went through. And, you know, I think the biggest part was just um, feeling um, a fellowship around me, feeling that, you know, there are people there that are willing to help and support me. Um, and so then in the, in my actual fourth step, you know, there was plenty of stuff about fear in there too. Um, and getting it all down on paper, sometimes it just got funny. You know, I'm afraid of, I'm so afraid of this, and I'm so afraid of, of the exact opposite. Um, yeah, and I, I'm so afraid, the one, most recent one I laughed at, um, I'm so afraid, you know, that I'm required to do all this stuff that I'm not able to do. And then I went, wait a minute, you know, I've lived well over 40 years without doing any more I was able to do. And, and you know, I haven't been struck dead, you know. <laughs> um, so, and I just, I thought I would also just add another um, method of doing the fourth and fifth step is, um, like, each week um, I would write on it and then um, at the, the end of the week I would share that portion with my sponsor instead of, doing the whole thing and have it wait, you know, saving it all up. My first one I did in one cell swoop and my teeth were chattering. <laughs> That's how scared I was. But, um, you know, it was incredible for somebody else to hear it and to share their own experience. Um, I had a sponsor that also gave me a great way to work on my fears. Um, similar to what I just said of, you know, it hasn't happened yet. It's just like, you know, um, I'm afraid people aren't going to like me. Um, you know, how can you turn that into gratitude? I'm grateful that there are people in my life who do like me, you know, and just um, that has been helpful with the fears. Um, 
also just sort of accepting the defects and that, you know, recognizing them doesn't mean that, you know, that means I myself have to get rid of them right away. Um, it's just, you know, I might have to accept that this is where I am. And, you know, um, my sponsor recently said, you know, can you um, love yourself or accept higher powers love with the defects? Because it might not be going anywhere overnight. Um, yeah, so that's, that's been really helpful, too. Um, let's see. One other thing I'm thinking of. Um, oh, yeah. Um, so accepting the fear and accepting that, you know, okay, maybe things are hard enough in my life right now that it's just really hard to sleep. It's, you know, that I'm always kind of anxious. You know, I've, I've had two very major health issues in my life. And, you know, I've gone through periods of time where I'm just scared and anxious all the time of what's, you know, um, because, you know, I mean, sometimes you think, okay, a medical diagnosis means X, Y, and Z. Well, no, it means thousands of things um, in your life that can be different. And, um, yeah, so just accepting that, you know, okay, it's maybe with me. Um, and... Working the program is probably making it less. Even though it's still here, it's probably less. And I don't know when the miracle is going to happen. Thanks a lot. We have time for one more. I'm Joyce, compulsive overeater. Hi. I came in late, kind of looking for what I needed. And in the short time I was here, about the last half hour, I learned that I can write down, I am loving and supportive. I can write all the instances when good things happened, when I succeeded, when others said good things about me. I can pick the resentments, the fear, and the anger that I want to write about. And it's okay to focus on one issue. I'm obsessive, right? That's why I'm in these rooms. And I can be loving of all that I fear, all that I'm angry with, and all that I resent. Because I cannot nurse these things and gain abstinence. Wow. That's extraordinary for one life lesson in 30 minutes. We are powerful. I've been in program for a few years. I lost my sponsor about a year ago and stopped at six step and just realized when I did service at the literature table that I really needed to go back to fourth step. So here I am, ready to start again, and I'm really hoping that I've got a new start. Well, that's about all the time we have, and so it's time to close the session. Um, let's thank our speakers, first of all. Thank you.
and Katie for being our diligent timekeeper. Um, everyone who shared and all those who have done service at this, uh, this meeting. So now, if you will, please join a stand and join hands as we close the meeting with the OA promise, I put my hand in yours. <laughs>